So good morning, listeners, and welcome to Come and See Inspirations, which has been produced here in our Come and See studio here in Adda, County Dummy. And this, the 31st of March, it's the fourth Sunday of Lent. Our programme, of course, is being broadcast on Sacred Space and West Limit 102 local radio. It's Sunday morning at 10am and 11pm. And it's available for playback or download on Come and See Inspirations at buzzsprout.com. You can find us actually on buzzsprout.com website and then search just search Come and See Inspirations. Or you can also get us on our blog, which is www.sacredspace102.blogspot.com. Now, these, these programs, of course, are heard in various parts of the world, anywhere from Hong Kong to Australia to the other side of uh, Europe, anywhere at all, 24 hours, 20, 24-7. Our podcasting team this morning, who is helping me to produce this program, is, first of all, am I right here, uh, Lorraine Buckley. Good morning to you, Lorraine. How are you? Good morning, John. Good morning, listeners. I'm very well this morning, John. Thank you for asking. Thank you very much, Neil, for coming and joining us. Also, my dear lady wife, Anne, good morning to you, Anne. How are you? Fine, thank you, John. Uh, good morning, listeners. And Shane has got another another week off this week. We are going to make him work when he comes back. No, actually, Shane, Shane's got a few things he has to attend to over the next few weeks. So Shane, unfortunately, couldn't join us this week and mightn't be able to join us next week either. But as usual, our programme will indeed um, include Saints for the Week, which Shane usually shares with us. And also we'll do a little bit of catechesis. Uh, Lorraine is going to share again some of the bishops pastoral with us. And also we'll have Colm Hogan, actually, from Troker, who will join us in part two to let us know a little bit about the work that Troker's doing and the ways we can support the tremendous work that they do in all parts of the world. And, of course, we'll finish up then by reading and reflecting on the Word of God, the Sunday Gospel. If you want to contact us at all, uh, please do so by texting 87 6088667. That's 087 6088667. And again, thanks for those people who do contact us. There are various parts of the program that they enjoy. Thank you so much. Especially, especially Lorraine's catechesis. Thank you very much, Nick, for joining us. And also, you can contact us by email, and that's on sacredspace102 at gmail.com. So this part of the programme, maybe, uh, Lorraine, you might be able to share some Saints for the Week with us, please. Of course, John, our Saints for the Week. We start off on Monday, the 1st of April. Now, lads, just for us living in the secular world, of course, the 1st of April is All Fool's Day, don't get caught. (laughs) But in the saintly world, it is the feast day of St. Calloch or Celsus, who lived from 1080 to 1129. St. Calloc was born in 1080 and became Abbot of Armagh and priest in 1105 and presided at the Synod of Rathbrail in 1111. In 1129 he died and is buried in Lismore by his own request. So why was Calloc particularly um, important in the Irish Church? Well, he was responsible for the change from lay control of the Church in Armagh to a clerical Episcopal model, the type of model that we have now with dioceses and bishops, and for that reason, he is very important. Um, Calloc, or Celsus, as I said, was born in 1080. He belonged to a powerful local family, the Clan Shinnig, which controlled what was then the hereditary lay abbacy of Armagh. Now, in that system, the lay Corb, or the successor of some saint, in this case, St. Patrick, was also the administrator in this case, of Armagh. So it was something you inherited. They didn't elect bishops like, you know, the way uh, bishops are appointed now. Mm -hmm. 
So then there was a reform brought about by Pope Gregory VII throughout Europe, and which then came into England. And then that reform began in Munster. And Kellogg, seeing what was happening in Munster, decided that he, because he was not married yet, he made the decision to become a priest. Or we would say today, he responded to his vocation to become a priest Mm -hmm. because you don't just make that decision. Mm -hmm. Uh, So then he, as a priestly administrator of Armagh, Bishop of Armagh, if you like, he started bringing about that reform in Armagh himself. Knowing that his own family would try to regain control of Armagh when he died, Calloch named Malachy as his successor as bishop there, sending him his crozier in token. And 1120, in 1129, while visiting Munster, Calloch died at Ardpatrick and was buried in Lismore at his own request. Malachy did indeed have difficulties establishing control as bishop, but he was able to have Gilamachliach, the abbot of Derry, installed and accepted as effective bishop and administrator of Armagh, while he himself returned to the monastery of Bangor. Malachy then consecrated a bishop for Connor Diocese, keeping down for himself. So it's just interesting the way the church is working there in the history of the Irish church. On Tuesday, the 2nd of April, we have St. Francis of Paolo. St. Francis of Paolo was a man who deeply loved contemplative solitude and wished only to become the least in the household of God. But when God called him to active service in the world, he became a miracle worker and influenced the course of nations. After accompanying his parents on a pilgrimage to Rome and Assisi, he began to live as a contemplative hermit in a remote cave near Paola on Italy's southern seacoast. Before he was 20, he received the first followers who had come to imitate his way of life. And 17 years later, when his disciples had grown in number, Francis established a rule for his austere community and sought church approval. And that was the beginning of the Hermits of St. Francis of Assisi, who were approved by the Holy See in 1474. Now, Francis changed the name of his community to Minims because he wanted them to be known as the least, the Minimi in the household of God. And humility was to be the hallmark of the brothers, as it had been in Francis's own personal life. Besides the vows of poverty, chastity and obedience, what we would call the evangelical councils, which religious still take today, Francis enjoined upon his followers the fourth obligation of a perpetual Lenten fast, because he believed that heroic mortification was necessary for spiritual growth. So, following the request of Pope Sixtus, the mm-hmm. sorry, I beg your pardon, Pope Sixtus the Fourth, okay. Francis travelled to Paris to help Louis the Eleventh of France prepare for his death. While minister to, ministering to the king, Francis was able to influence the course of national politics. He helped to restore peace between France and Brittany by advising a marriage between the ruling families, and between France and Spain by persuading Louis the Eleventh to return some disputed land. So he died while he was at the French court. On the 3rd of April, Wednesday, we have St. Agape. Now again, our breakfast warning for those of you who might be listening this morning. Agape and her sisters, Keonia and Irene, were Christians of Thessalonica, Macedonia. They were convicted of possessing texts of the scriptures, despite a decree issued in 303 AD by the Emperor Diocletian, naming such possessions a crime punishable by death. That always astounds me. When we think of the Bibles we have at home, kind of maybe sometimes Mm -hmm. kind of put up in a press or whatever it might be. Mm -hmm. And the early Christians died because they possessed scripture, you know, little texts of scripture. Mm. So when they further refused to do sacrifice to pagan gods, the governor Dulcetius 
had Agape and Keonia burned alive and when Irene still refused to recant, he ordered her to a house of prostitution. There she remained unmolested, even though she had been exposed naked and chained and she was put to death either by burning or by an arrow through the throat. On Thursday the 4th of April we have the Feast of St Isidore. Now Isidore is the patron saint of the internet. Isidore was literally born into a family of saints in the 6th century Spain. Two of his brothers, Leander and Fulgentius, and one of his sisters, Florentina, are revered as saints in Spain. He had a tough old upbringing, did Isidore. He was good at um, learning, but his his Mm. brother, sorry, Leander, treated him rather poorly. He had taken charge of his studies and he felt that poor Isidore wasn't doing very, very well in them. So he used to punish Isidore quite strictly. And then Isidore had enough one day and ran away. So then Leander found him and brought him back and basically locked him up in a cell, we think, uh, probably in a monastery. Uh, St. Isidore, however, spotted something very interesting in the cell. He noticed that there was a little drop of water that was landing on the seat. And at first he realised that the water wasn't making any difference at all. But then he noticed slowly and slowly and slowly over time that the water was making a little indent in the seat. So he realised that if he applied himself to his studies, that he would learn what he needed to learn in time. Okay. Of course, the uh, ironic thing about it is that Isidore became a great saint and actually completed many of the works that his brother had started uh, because he applied himself so well to his studies. He was a doctor of the church and achieved much more than his brother had ever hoped. On Friday, the 5th of April, we have St. Vincent Ferrer, who is a Dominican. He is the patron saint of builders because of his fame for building up and strengthening the church through his preaching missionary work in his teachings and as a confessor and advisor. On the 6th of April, we have St. William of Escalso, missionary born at Saint-Germain in France, circa 1125. He served as a canon in the church at St. Genevieve, Paris, under the great abbot Suger until about 1170, when he was sent to Denmark with the mission of reforming the canons there. He became abbot there and during his three decades among the Danes, he also reformed many other communities. So thank you so much, Neil, for that, Lorraine. You're very welcome. Now, uh, just before we go for our first bit of music, Anne, you might share this prayer before, uh, for those people who, who can't receive Jesus in Mass this morning, please. Okay. My Jesus, I desire to receive you into my soul since I now cannot receive you sacramentally. Come spiritually into my soul. I embrace you as already there. I unite myself wholly to you. Never permit me to be separated from you. Amen. Amen. Thanks for that, Anne. So, at this stage now, um, Lorraine is going to continue sharing some thoughts that have come through from Bishop Leahy's pastoral uh, this Lent on holiness. Thanks, Lorraine. Thanks a million, John. So, we're going to continue reading from Bishop Brendan's Lenten pastoral, which is called This is What God Wants of Us, Our Holiness, which is based on Pope Benedict's uh, letter rejoice and be glad. So last week we looked at the introduction and we had the example of Chiara Lucia Badano who said she needed to give her new toys to the poor because she can't give broken toys to the poor. And it reminded mm-hmm. me very much of uh, what we will be talking about in the next part of our programme where we're going to have an interview with a representative from Trokra and how sometimes we might give the old coppers or whatever in the Trokra box instead of maybe mm-hmm. giving out of um, 
what we might actually need. So this week we're going to look at the section entitled What is Holiness? And Bishop Brendan says, When it comes to describing what holiness is, we can overcomplicate things. Put simply, however, holiness can be defined as love lived to the full, love of God and one's neighbour. Loving to the full means that we do our best to put love into our relationship with God and with all those we meet. And to do this day by day, knowing and believing that God loves each one of us immensely. There is no one-size-fits-all holiness. The Second Vatican Council said that, while it is God's will for each of us to be holy, nevertheless, each in his or her own way. Even if we think of the great saints, who can be such an inspiration for us, from St. Patrick to St. Francis and St. Oscar Romero, and from St. Bridget to St. Mother Teresa of Calcutta and St. Edith Stein, patroness of Europe, it's never a question of copying as if on tracing paper the details of their lives. We have to let ourselves be inspired by them. But then we've to become holy in our own unique way. How each of us gives witness to God's love depends on the circumstances, events and opportunities that make up the fabric of our personal life story. The more we love, the more we let Christ live and love in us, in our personality and character. I read recently that one of the great philosophers, Heraclitus, said character is destiny. For Christians, character is not destiny, but rather opportunity, our pathway to become holy. It's in small, everyday gestures that we become holy. Pope Francis gives an example that is very real and speaks to us. This holiness to which the Lord calls you will grow through small gestures, Pope Francis says. Here is an example. A woman goes shopping. She meets a neighbour and they begin to speak, and the gossip starts. But she says in her heart, No, I will not speak badly of anyone. This is a step forward in holiness. Later at home, one of her children wants to talk about his hopes and dreams, and even though she is tired, she sits down and listens with patience and love. That is another sacrifice that brings holiness. Later she experiences some anxiety, but recalling the love of the Virgin Mary, she takes out her rosary and prays with faith. Yet another path of holiness. Later still, she goes out onto the street, encounters a poor person and stops to say a kind word to him. One more step. And that's from Pope Francis's Rejoice and Be Glad, paragraph 16. So Bishop Brendan continues, Love of God and love of our neighbour are linked. Take the image of a plant with a root and foliage. We can say that love for our neighbour is born from our love for God, and our love for God is nourished by our love for our neighbour. When it comes to love of our neighbour, we can do no better than follow the wise and balanced measure of love provided by St. Paul. Love your neighbour as yourself. In other words, do unto others what you would like done to you. On the one hand, this reminds us that we need to love ourselves, not in a selfish way, but recognising that each of us is a child of God, 
immensely loved and cared for. It is essential to love ourselves and let ourselves be loved. But then, when we recognise how it is we want to be loved, we get an insight into how it is others want to and should be loved. St Paul gives us a valuable key for holiness. Love your neighbour as yourself. Thanks for that, Lorraine. We're going to continue on again, again next week. Oh, indeed. And I think we'll find that some of those topics come up again when we look at the Gospel later on, John. Thank you very much indeed. Just a little comment there, but just when it comes to my mind, um, we do get messages through from our listeners from time to time. And one of the messages came through this week. Somebody was listening to you recounting the saints for us last week. And there was one particular, I think it was a Scottish saint that, was, that we were referring to, and they say, didn't she die such an awful death? And it's ah, actually, that was St. Margaret Clitheroe, yes. um, mm. who is a wonderful saint. And of, of course, our listeners know that we pre-record the programme. We are pre-recording our programme on the feast day of St. Margaret Clitheroe today. So St. Margaret Clitheroe, pray for us. Pray for us. Thank you so much for that, Lorraine. OK, now we'll go for a first bit of music. Um, the piece of music you told us to, that maybe we could play, play today was the Servant Song. I was thinking very much in lines of our Linton observances and, of course, in terms of Trokra, whom we have on shortly after the break, that the servant song, Will You Let Me Be Your Servant? Welcome back again to the second part of Come and See Inspirations. My name is John Keeley. Thank you again for staying with us this morning. As uh, this is this time of the year when uh, Troker do some brilliant work out there on our behalf, 
thought it'd be appropriate to welcome back again into the programme. In fact, this person was with us last year. It's delighted to welcome back onto the programme again, Cullum Hogan. Good morning to you, Cullum. How are you? Uh, good morning, John, uh, and thank you for having me on again. It's, it's good to be with you and your listeners again. Thank you. Thank you very much indeed. I know last year, I think from memory, you were speaking to us. Yes, we're, uh, it was actually Sierra Leone, and the, the landslide had happened, in, ha- had happened in Sierra Leone the previous August. Oh, yes. Well, well done. So. Uh, anyway, just uh, just out of a bit troker again, there's maybe some list- uh, some of our listeners, maybe in various parts of the world, but uh, maybe in parts of County Limerick here, uh, might have heard about troker, but not too sure what it's all about and where they operate and so on and so forth. So maybe, first of all, who are troker and where and where do you operate? Okay, John. Well, well, troker are are the overseas development agency of of the Catholic Church here in Ireland, mm-hmm. and found, founded in 1973 by, by the bishops of Ireland, and with a dual mandate. Uh, obviously, we do a lot of work overseas, so it was to, to help uh, vulnerable people, the most vulnerable people in the world overseas, and then the second part of that mandate was a part of my own work, which is uh, on outreach work in different parts of Ireland. So it's, it's, it's going around telling people about her work, making aware of them and educating and educating people in Ireland and informing them about the root causes of poverty. So, like, our work is, is really a, a wonderful expression of, of gospel values and it's how our supporters in Ireland express charity to some of the most vulnerable people in the world. So, um, we're ever grateful, like, for the huge support we get every year, particularly during our Linton campaign, for, for the work we do. So say, for example, you mentioned um, John there, Sierra Leone at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, I can tell your listeners that, that some of our Linton income last year, like um, donations from parishes helped to rebuild schools for children in Sierra Leone following that devastating landslide. So the Linton income allows us to do that work, like to go out and help people in situations like that. And um, and try our best to rebuild their community after a devastating landslide. And there be various other issues that you would have to, uh, or that are addressed by Troker, aren't they? I mean, you get involved with uh, food resources, maybe justice, justice and human rights. Sometimes we're not too aware of that. You'd be fairly involved in that area too, wouldn't you? We we would indeed, John. And um, like we uh, in a lot of the, a lot of our countries, unfortunately. Uh, women are, are not treated very well. Mm. So we have a whole program behind women's empowerment and um, and helping people realise in these countries that uh, women should be treated equally, just like men. And um, our actually our Linton campaign this year is all about um, is all about justice and human rights with regard to land resources. So our whole Linton campaign this year is about um, about land rights. And it's highlighting different ways that land is stolen from vulnerable people. And it's either by corporate land grabs or by war or simply because they are a woman. So we actually have three, we have three girls in our choker box this year, John. Okay. So we have Patricia, Patricia from Uganda, Maria from Guatemala, and Maya, who lives in Lebanon, but uh, her family are of Syrian descent. So maybe you might just go through each particular one, just uh, just to give us a sense of what these people in various parts of the world have to put up with. Okay, well, well, in Guatemala, John, 
just to let you know that indigenous communities have a, they have very little legal access to land. So they live in their, on land their families have cared for, for generations because they're of Mayan heritage. So, but unfortunately, large landowners often take their land for their own use. So I was actually in Guatemala myself last summer and I met Maria and her family. And they, they told us, Maria's father told us of the story about how their, their family were evicted from their house in 2011 and their house was burnt down and their crops were taken, burnt as well. And all their belongings, say clothes and school books, everything was burnt in that particular eviction. So they really suffered as a consequence of that. Now, since, since 2011, because the large landowners who were looking for a sugarcane plantation, they since have moved on. So, so Marie and her family have moved back to the land they once had. So they're sub, basically they're subsistence farmers. And um, what, what is happening with them at the moment now is that they're, they're like they're, they have their own vegetables. The children are going to school. They're, they're still very poor compared to maybe what we would classify here in Ireland as having 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 some money or whatever, you know. So like for example, Maria is um walks to school every day two or three miles because they know education is important. But what they what they're living they're living in fear that these big businessmen will come back again and take their land. So Troker is trying to advocate for for them for their land rights and I suppose one of the hallmarks of Troker is that we work through partners. And when I mention the word partner I mean there's local organisations on the ground there that uh, that in, can influence local government, and local government can influence the national government, and and hopefully through all this advocacy work, we we can um, we can show these people that these indigenous people actually have the right to their land, and and that these large businesses can't come in and take their land from them. So that was the Guatemala story. So with Uganda, then it's all about um, basically. Patricia, her she's on the box this year, and her mother Evelyn was left a widow. Her husband died sadly, and and she has a family there. But because she's a woman, when the husband dies, the woman has no right to land. So she can even lose her land to her to her brother's family. And sadly, in some cases, some of the women in northern Uganda also lose their children. Their children are taken away from them which is pretty horrific for, for, for the woman. So again, we're trying to advocate, again with local organisations, that this is not right and that the, the woman is well able to farm her own land, like many women do there, and that they are legally entitled to that land. So that's the Uganda situation. And then the Lebanon situation is probably a story that your listeners are familiar with because it's because of the war in Syria that Maya and her family have become displaced. So they're, um, they're living in a refugee camp in Lebanon. And when they look out, out uh, of, uh, of their house every morning, they can actually see Syria from far off. They can see the mountains of Syria. So they're living with a heartache of actually seeing Syria, seeing their homeland, and maybe trying to come to grips with the fact that they may never see it again, but the hope is that they will. So it's... It, the whole campaign is looking at land rights, but from three completely different perspectives. But at the same time, um, at the same time, it's the same. It's the same topic: uh, owning their land, owning their home, and 
and and people losing their homes, which is a, a terrible injustice for anyone to go through. And it means, would it be the case sometimes that even if these people come back, you know, um, maybe that lady you mentioned out there in um, Guatemala, would she be able to come back again? Uh, like, she would come back to her own house. Would these big guys come back in again, maybe, and take the land again? There is that possibility that will happen. So, the, that, and that's, that's most of our work. We're trying to advocate that this won't happen again, you know? So, um, but they do live in that fear. So it's the fear of losing their land again, you know? And um, I suppose one of the things that really struck me uh, when I was there on my last day there, I, I met an uncle of Maria's, and Maria, uh, Maria's uncle said to me, he says, you, you, you don't realise, Colm, the, the, uh, the hope that organisations like Chokra and the uh, organisations you work with over here, the hope that you give us, because he says, you're the hope that, that makes us get up every day. And also the hope that that tomorrow may be a better day for them. So um, he says, not, no. He says, no money can can take that hope, or no lack of money can take that hope away, and no uh, wealth of money can buy that hope for them. So, and he said, make sure when you go home, tell the people in Ireland that you have given us that hope and the will to live on, and that we're so so grateful for it. And so, so grateful for the generosity of that support. So I, th- I think that's really worth mentioning, John, because mm. your, your listeners are the people who support our campaign, who listen to the stories and um, support it through funding the Troker Box or maybe getting involved in a campaign themselves, which they may see available on our website, you know. So, mm, yeah. so, um, so that's what Maria's uncle was really emphasising that to me. I always thought that myself, but when I heard someone else saying that to me, it, it struck, it struck me really, really deep down, you know. And, you know, that's all going through my mind there, um, Colin, was, was these are real people. These aren't just stories. You've met yes. them and you've spoken with their uncles and you see the pain in their in their faces and in and, and hear the pain in their, in their voices. But a wonderful thing you said there, and that's maybe something that we can take away, you and through us, you are giving them some hope that these people can wake up in the morning with some bit of a hope that today is another day now and I'm still free and I'll work away, get up again and do the best I can. It's a yes, w- absolutely. And I, like in, and I, I could actually see the genuineness in, in, that man's, in that man's eyes when he was telling me this story, you know, that, um, that he said, like, this is, this is what keeps us going. And I know from my work colleagues who have been in Uganda and in that refugee camp in Lebanon as well, that like um, that that same hope is there because they see people coming in who value them because because of what they've gone through, you know, whatever context uh, their story has been, uh, they, they see people coming in like Trokra, like the organ, like the local partner organisations we work with. They see them coming in and helping them in their particular situation, and as bad as that situation is they know someone is thinking of them somewhere and that keeps them going. Callum, um, there's people out there listening and I'm sure they want to try and help in some way. What's the various ways maybe we can support the, the, the good work that you guys in Troker are doing every day? So there's a number of ways that um, people can support our campaign. So maybe through, the, through our traditional Troker box and... Um, these funds will go towards a long way towards our advocating for 
Patricia's family, for Maria's family, and for Maya's family. And also, with the Limerick Dices, John, we, we have a volunteer initiative in operation at the moment. We just started last year. And it's great that we actually have just around 13 or 14 volunteer, volunteers with us in the Limerick Dices. So what they're doing for us at the moment is that they're creating a troker display in their church or creating a troker space. They're helping us put up the posters in the different churches around the diocese. And some of them, some of them have actually gone out and spoke at masses about, about our work, creating awareness of our work. And there's a number of different other things that it can do. They could organize a coffee morning in the parish center. Or, so there's, there's different things that they can do. For example, I know um, in Troker we have some films that we can show in community centers. So that's an opportunity as well that maybe a volunteer could could um, be promoting that film shown in a community centre. So the way they, the way the volunteer, they can actually do it through their parish priest. They could ask the parish priest so they can contact us directly as well. So it's a, it's a great way of, of creating more awareness of our work as well, you know. I think there's another one uh, that could be fairly popular. I certainly like it myself. It, it, it's buying gifts. Oh, yes. Yes, um, particularly, I suppose... Uh, Particularly at Christmas time, um, we have a, a gifts campaign where people can buy gifts for particular people in the developing world. But those gifts can also be bought throughout the year. And so, uh, yeah, I, I think there's something, that, there's something that we're thinking about starting off in our own family, actually. And that's by giving people these gifts for, for their birthdays. So yes. the idea is, I mean, I can give somebody, for example, I, I can give chicks, I, I, I think it is for about eight euros, or um, we can buy even some soap, which is only a fiver. But but all, yes. these, all these ways and means we, we can go right up and spending maybe a thousand euros if you want, or 200 euros, or 65 euros for beehives, whatever it might be. But there's various ways we can do it. Okay. Absolutely, yeah. At this and like, I think that's, uh, that, that's good that... And people can buy whatever gift they, they would like they would like themselves and maybe it might be a gift maybe that say whoever whatever wh- whoever they're buying it for, like they they know that person might have an interest in this. And they know and like it's very appropriate. And they know that it's going for you know to somebody who really needs this. Absolutely, okay. yes. Yeah, yeah. Maybe at this stage uh, you can give me some contact details as to how maybe if people want to can contact Trokra. Yes, um I'll give you our, our website details are uh, www.troker.org mm-hmm. and then the the landline in Troker is 01 yeah. 6293 yeah. 333 okay. and uh, maybe John just to, just to also say just at this stage that people will be aware of the devastating uh, tragedy of Cyclone Edai yes and and people people may be uh, interested in in how they can donate to help people there. So, so um, our preference like is to direct donations to the Lenten Appeal and like, supporters like inquiring about the cyclone response. We'd encourage them to donate to our Lenten Appeal because donations from the Lenten Appeal will go towards those people as well. You know. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So and um, people would have seen the the horrifying TV pictures of of the damage that was done in Mozambique, Zimbabwe, and Malawi last weekend. So we're, we're, we are out there as well, helping people there as well. 
Okay, listen, Colm, thanks a lot for coming on. I just want to say on behalf of everybody, thank you. Thanks to all the people in Trocra who are volunteering and and, um, doing such tremendous work on our own behalf. I mean, all right, we can do our own little bits and pieces by putting, and we should be doing maybe a bit more than bits and pieces, putting money, not coins, but maybe the silent collection, as the man said before, into these Trocra boxes. But for all you people who go out to various parts of the world, and help those people, like the Patricias, the Mayas and the Marias of this world, you know, who are real people, suffering, not through their own fault, but because somebody else has decided to be a little bit greedy with whatever they, that they can get themselves. Thank you very much indeed for all the work you're doing. And well, thank you, and thank you, John, for the opportunity again, and, and, and thank you to your listeners too for your continued generosity. And without that support and without that help, we wouldn't be able to do the work we are doing. So we're we're forever grateful for that support and generosity. So thank you again. No problem, Colm. And look, thanks for speaking to us and no doubt we'll speak again sometime. Okay, John. Thank you very much. Bye-bye now, Colm. Take care now. Bye-bye. And now we go for our second piece of music this morning. And this one is by Marty Hogan and this one is entitled Who Will Speak? So let's hear this. The world that the church must serve is the world of the poor. Persecution of the church is the result of defending the poor. My life has been threatened many times. I have to confess that, as a Christian, I do not believe in death without resurrection. If they kill me, I will rise again in the Salvadorian people. speak for the poor and the broken who will speak for the people's oppressed who will speak so their voice will be heard oh who will speak if you don't who will speak if you
So welcome back again to the third part of Come and See Inspirations. My name is John Keeley, still joined in studio here by Lorraine Buckley and Anne. Just before we read and reflect on the Word of God, Anne prays this prayer before reading and reflecting on Scripture each week. Would you just pray that for us, Anne? Yes, indeed. Lord, we thank you for putting us in the presence of your Word, which you inspired in your prophets. May we approach this Word reverently, attentively and humbly. May we not despise this word, but receive all it has to say to us. We know that our hearts are closed, often incapable of comprehending the simplicity of your word. Send your spirit to us, so that receiving the word in truth and simplicity our lives may be transformed by it. Let us not be resistant, Lord. May your word penetrate us like a two-edged sword. May our hearts be open to it. Let not our eyes be closed nor our minds wander, but may we give ourselves entirely to this listening. We ask this order in union with Mary, who used to recite, Psalms through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Thank you for that, Anne. And of course, Anne prays that on behalf of all of us this morning, all of us who who are here listening to the Word of God. So the Gospel for this morning, the Word of God this morning, is for the fourth Sunday in Lent, and it's taken from uh, from Luke chapter 15, verse 1 to 3 and 11 to 32. And as we were uh, told by Father Frank Dewick there last night at Lecture Divina, this is a very familiar gospel, but it's very important that we listen to every word of the gospel and see what's, what's been said to ourselves. The tax collectors and sinners were all seeking the company of Jesus to hear what he had to say. And the Pharisees and the scribes complained, This man, they said, welcomes sinners and eats with them. So he spoke this parable to them. A man had two sons. The younger said to his father, Father, let me have the share of the estate that would come to me. So the father decided the property between them. A few days later, the younger son got together everything he had and left for a distant country, where he squandered his money on a life of debauchery. When he spent it all, the country experienced a severe famine. Now he began to feel the pinch. So he hired himself out to one of the local inhabitants, who put, on, who put him on his farm to feed the pigs. And he would willingly have filled his belly with the husks the pigs were eating, but no one offered him anything. Then he came to his senses and said, How many of my father's paid servants have more food than they want? And here am I dying of hunger. I will leave this place and go to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I no longer deserve to be called your son. Treat me as one of your paid servants. So he left the place and went back to his father. And while he was still a long way off, the father saw him and was moved with pity. He ran to the boy, clasped him in his arms and kissed him tenderly. Then his son said, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I no longer deserve to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, Bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the calf we have been fattening and kill it. We're going to have a feast, a celebration. 
because this son of mine was dead and has come back to life. He was lost and he's found. And they began to celebrate. Now the eldest son was out in the fields, and on his way back, as he drew near the house, he could hear music and dancing. Calling one of the servants, he asked what it was all about. Your father has come, replied the servant, and and your father, excuse me, your brother has come, replied the servant, and your father has killed the calf we had fattened because he'd got him back safe and sound. He was angry then and refused to go in, and his father came out to plead with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've slaved for you, and never once disobeyed your orders. Yet you never offered me so much as a kid for me to celebrate with my friends. But for this son of yours, when he comes back after swallowing up your property, he and his women, you kill the calf who had been, we had been fattening. And the father said, My son, you are with me always, and all I have is yours. But it's only right we should celebrate and rejoice, because your brother here was dead and has come back to life. He was lost and he's found. So that's the gospel for today. That's what Jesus has for us today, Lorraine. Absolutely, John. Now, as, as you can imagine, we can't do justice to this gospel in a couple of minutes. Just a few things, though, just to look out for. Um, this comes from Luke 15. And when you have your mass uh, leaflet or your missal, you'll notice that it jumps from the third verse uh, to the story, the parable of the prodigal son. And in the context of Luke chapter 15, we see that it starts with the tax collectors and sinners are all drawn to Jesus. And then the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, the religious people of the time, they're muttering about it and saying, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. And Jesus told them three parables, actually, but we're skipping two of them this week. We're skipping the parable of the lost sheep, where Jesus says, um, you know, if you had a hundred, would you not leave the ninety-nine and go looking for the one? And the parable of the lost coin about the woman who has lost one of her wedding coins and she turns the house upside down until she finds it. So it's in that context of a God who will leave the ninety-nine or leave the nine to go looking for the one that's missing that we're reading the parable of the lost son. Now, it is a parable But a parable is a story that Jesus tells us to communicate very, very deep truths to us. Um, And in the parable, the younger son wishes the father dead because he says, give me the share of the property that is due to me. He's saying, I can't wait for you to die. You give me my inheritance now. Isn't it an awful thing? If we're reading Mm. it as God the father is the father, Mm. the younger son is saying, I wish you dead. And just to kind of to sit with that maybe a little bit during the week, in what ways do we kind of put ourselves above God? In what ways do we say, well, I'm God in this situation. I don't want anything to do with you. That's one thing to think about there. And then looking at it in the terms of the prodigal father who is looking out for the younger son coming back to him all the time. And it it was just the three things that he gave him. He gave him... A robe, a ring, and a sandals. And each of those say to the younger son, you are my son, you are not a servant. The robe was a sign of sonship. Bring forth the best robe and put it on him. 
the father was telling the prodigal son, as well as everybody around, all the observers, that his position as son was being restored. And we have that many times in the Bible, in Genesis 27:15, when Rebecca took the clothing of the eldest son Esau and put them on the younger son Jacob. As well as that in Zechariah, when God told Zechariah to remove from Joshua the high priest his filthy garments and replace them with rich robes. So this sign of being robed is a very important sign as sons. And of course, we were all robed when we were baptized in the christening robe, the sign of sonship, of being children of God in the Son, Jesus Christ. They also put a ring on his finger. And again, a ring was a sign of an office of authority. It was a sign of wealth and of dignity. So again, it's another sign of you are my son. I accept you back fully and put sandals on his feet because you see only servants and slaves went barefoot. He went back to his father completely barefoot with nothing. Mm -hmm. His father put sandals back on his feet to say, you are not a slave, you are my son. And of course, the sandals also meant he had the freedom to go again if he wanted to. When I was reflecting on it just before we came on air, John, I was thinking, you know, it's a threefold acceptance of being forgiven. And it reminded me a little bit of Jesus saying to Peter, Peter, do you love me? And that threefold sense of, you know, of course I love you. And that sense of being fully, fully forgiven. Now, for me personally, I was looking at the older son, because my Linton observance this year, as well as doing, you know, a little bit of fasting, a little bit of extra prayer, has been looking at how much I judge people and situations and events, whether it's something I read in the paper or whether it's some something I see or something in my own life. And I'm trying to root that out. And any time I catch myself judging another person, I'm like, Lord, bless this person. And I'm trying to keep practicing it. It's like... Bishop Brendan said earlier and Pope Francis said earlier, the more you do something, it's the little steps in life that make one holy. So, for example, if you find yourself judging, would you look at your one and what she's wearing? Wouldn't you think she'd have looked in the mirror before she came out this morning? When you catch yourself doing something like that and said, Lord, bless so and so. Lord, send your blessings upon them and forgive me. Because, again, the problem with the older son is that he is judging the younger son, this son of yours has come back. You know, that that implication there that he's nothing to do with me. He's not my brother. He's your son. So he's judging the situation. And because of that judgment and that pride and that hardness of heart, he can't rejoice in the return of the prodigal son. Beautiful. Thank you so much for that, Lorraine. Just, just, uh, just a thought, I suppose, just before we finish off the programme. I thought actually there, there was um, emphasised a little bit last night at Lectio Divina was the first, the first, the first few sentences. The tax collectors and the sinners were all seeking the company of Jesus. Think about it. All the bad guys, they were all seeking the company of Jesus. They wanted to hear what he had to say. And I was just thinking about that, you know. And there's one thing about Jesus. Jesus always gives hope. And for all of us who've sinned, these guys, these tax collectors and sinners, they, 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 these weren't the only ones who sinned, but we, but we did too. They were always given hope because the message of Jesus is just like just like what happened with the young fellow today. He went off, like we all done, to a foreign country, to foreign ways than what we were brought up. And then we've come to our senses. We've copped ourselves on. 
It might have been because we heard a priest say something, a nun say something, a neighbour say something, a family member say something. But somehow Jesus has got through to us, just like the Father in the Gospel. The Father in the Gospel is always looking out for the young father to try and bring him back. And that's what Jesus is trying to do with us. I think that maybe the tax collectors and the sinners were aware of that. And they were aware of, yeah, okay, I've messed up. But if I come to this guy Jesus, he can show me, put me back on the road again. Show me where I've got wrong. And yeah, I've got to acknowledge that I messed up and that wasn't, I wasn't on my best behaviour that day doing that and so on and so forth. But I've come back to him, he'll forgive me and he'll love me. And he'll put his arms around me. I think it's a lovely message of hope that no matter where we are, especially during Lent, and it, it, it's an ideal message for me anyway, to remind us to go to that beautiful sacrament of reconciliation, where we can go to sacrament of reconciliation no matter how long we've been there. Maybe we haven't got a clue what to say, but we know that Jesus is there in the place of the priest. And just as you mentioned the priest there, I think we need to pray, pray, pray so much for our priests, mm-hmm. because sometimes... I'd say we don't realise how much it has taken for a person to move from the pew to the confessional Mm -hmm. and how much that has gone on in that person's life to come back to God and please God, they will find, and I'm sure they do because my experience of reconciliation myself has been beautiful, Mm -hmm. but please God that they will find the compassion of Jesus Christ in the confessional. Lorraine, thank you so much again. That's a beautiful thought to take away with us. So now we'll have to finish up the programme again. Thanks again for, for joining us. Thanks, Lorraine and Anne, for staying with me and putting up with me this morning. And thanks again for the Lord for giving us such a wonderful gospel. Thanks to the people of Trocra for doing all the work they're doing on our behalf. Um, and remember, lads, you know, don't just put in the few little pence into that box now this year. Um, there's different coloured notes we can use this year. We, we don't have to stay with those blue ones either, you know. There's brown ones and all sorts of colours. Take care of those people out there, the Marias, the Mayas and the Patricias of this life. They need us. We'll go with the final piece of music. And this one is from the Limerick Gospel Choir again. I thought, I, I like this piece of music. I think it's very appropriate for this particular gospel. It's entitled Amazing Grace. So next week, God bless you all now. Bye. Bye-bye now.